service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Another passage that goes along with that would be in Galatians chapter number 2. And keep your finger in Romans 12, but Galatians chapter 2. Paul said it this way, Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray and then we'll go on tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for opportunity now to come together and to open it and to read from your word and to hear from what your word says. Help us to uh, be attentive and to be understanding. Thank you for the blessings of the day, for the salvation uh, this afternoon, for the testimony of Cassandra, for uh, the folks in church this morning, and I pray for Mikey tomorrow, and I pray for cooks that aren't feeling well, anyone else. Uh, that you be with them too. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In Romans chapter 12 again, the Bible tells us it's, I beseech you, I I beg you, I'm pleading with you, I implore that you present your body by the mercies of God, that you would consider how merciful God has been to you and that you would present your body a living sacrifice. This is interesting because on one hand, it's supposed to be a living sacrifice. Um, the, the reason why it says a living sacrifice is because as a way of illustration, I remember hearing a preacher say one time that he went to visit a man who was dying and the man laying in the hospital bed, barely able to breathe, said, Preacher, I want to give the rest of my life to the Lord. I mean, there's nothing wrong with writing off your will to giving it to the Lord's work or something like that. But honestly, that's not very painful, is it? When you wait till you're dying or dead to give the rest of your time or the rest of you to God. A living sacrifice is when you're still living, but you're sacrificing. A living sacrifice is when you give up instead of for yourself. It's living, but it's dead. That's why he said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. The life I'm living is Christ's life, not mine. That's the idea of sacrifice. Donation is not the same as sacrifice. It doesn't matter how much you donate. It's not the same as sacrifice because sacrifice is all of it. 100%, it's everything. And so presenting your body, you can't, just like in the Old Testament, they couldn't bring half a sheep. They couldn't lay an animal on the altar for a night and then the next morning come back and get their animal. No, it's all of it. It's, it's for, for keeps. It's, it's permanent. And Paul's saying, I present, to present your body a living sacrifice, and, and that needs to be Holy. With that in mind, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and we see some familiar verses where it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, because you are bought with a price, because you've been purchased, redeemed, 
glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As we know from what we've read even this morning, a lamb without blemish and without spot, a holy sacrifice, a sacrifice that is clean and, and is redeemed and is now belonging to the Lord. And it says, holy, <clears throat> acceptable unto God. The idea there is well-pleasing, something that he would be pleased with, acceptable. And that's why I, I think we have to understand the importance of what we're saying here when we talk about presenting our life to the Lord as a living sacrifice. There is nothing wrong with someone who has a whole career of success in front of them saying, I'm giving that up to serve the Lord instead. A lot of people would say, oh, that's terrible. I mean, that guy makes so much money, he could give 80% of his income and still left off the 20 and, and, and support several missionaries rather than just one guy going as a missionary. But you know what? That's not necessarily what God would want. And the, the testimony and the, the, the sweet testimony of it and what he's giving up for the sake of, the idea of not just donating but giving all of me acceptable unto God, well-pleasing. Now, I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. However, I will say it this way. Everybody should have the desire to do that if God wills it. Um, in other words, our children aren't necessarily all called to ministry. They might, some of them might be. But they all should have the desire to go should God confirm the call. They all should have the desire to drop what they're doing and go and serve. And that includes the oldest one who's an engineer. Because that's the way it should be. Why? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it says at the end of verse 1, it's your reasonable service. Now, why is it reasonable? I wouldn't die for Buddha, because Buddha never died for me. I wouldn't die for Muhammad. I wouldn't die for a whole lot of religious beings, but I'll tell you what, there is someone who died for me, and it is reasonable. It's reasonable. He's our example. How much, what percentage did Jesus give on the cross? 100%. And as we sing about it, from the ivory palaces into a world of woe, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He gave, reason, he gave his sacrifice for us, which is reasonable for us to give to him. And also the last word in verse 1 says service. Again, back there in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, you're not your own. Therefore, you're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, to serve the Lord. No matter what you do on this earth, you should be recognized, recognizing in your own mind that I am a servant of the Lord. I remember years ago telling you about John Wanamaker. John Wanamaker lived a long time ago, but he was a businessman in Philadelphia. He had, I think, um, he, he owned several department stores and whatnot, and, and I think he's the one that came up with the idea of customer service and uh, you know, money back guarantee and things like that. And, and uh, he was very successful. He was so successful that he was appointed as the postmaster general, I think of either Philadelphia or of, or of all of the nation. I can't remember. But John Wanamaker was at some big wig, you know, 
hubbub get together party or whatever it was and you know where all these uh important well-to-do successful rich people get together and whatnot and and uh, someone who knew John Wanamaker was just walking with him and someone that didn't know John Wanamaker come up and said hi uh, and introduced himself and said Mr. Wanamaker what do you do and the man standing next to Mr. Wanamaker thought oh what does he do I mean the man is one of the most important people in Philadelphia and he's a postmaster general I mean and he was waiting for John Wanamaker to answer the question and John Wanamaker said I am the superintendent of our church's Sunday school program. That's what he told him. Because in John Wanamaker's mind, that's what I really do. You know, a lot of people define themselves by what they do in in career. Um, but I, I want to be known as God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No matter what you did in your earthly life, you serve the Lord while you were doing it. The other thing's just stuff. And your reasonable service that you recognize this is for the Lord, whatever I'm doing. And, and if you know that this is what God's called you to do, then just serve the Lord. And just recognize that's what God's given you to do. But if you're chasing your own ambitions, that's different. <clears throat> you're not really serving the Lord. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. You know, this idea of living and yet dead or dead and yet alive the illustration comes in Romans chapter 6 we go back there a few pages in Romans chapter 6 and it's illustrated for us and we see it all the time but in Romans chapter 6 it talks about baptism the first few verses of the chapter talk about baptism and verse 6 says knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed the idea of baptism is a death and a burial and a resurrection and i know including me we we get saved and we many in here have been baptized but we don't necessarily always live what we demonstrated in other words we don't always die to self and live a new life in christ and this is what paul is beseeching he's saying that we present our bodies a living sacrifice so then in chapter six here of Romans in verse 11 it says likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God so the idea here is that you're dead to sin in this world but you're alive unto God through Jesus Christ and what he'd have you to do verse 12 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof I just figured something out. I'm kind of dense, so it takes a while. I just figured out that a lot of people that I've tried so hard to help them with an addiction and and send them to a program, and and some of us are going to learn more about it, and that's a good thing. But here's something we got to remember as we go and learn about addictions. Most people, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, most people have a problem they want fixed. But they don't want all of them fixed. In other words, they they have... In their mind, this is my problem. And what I've tried to explain now that I'm learning, no, no, you think you're an alcoholic 
You think alcohol is your problem. The truth is you just have never been 100% sacrificed to God. Because I know this for a fact. Dead people don't have addictions. And what happens is is we want God to fix this thing because this thing's just out of control, but there's so much else we want to hang on to. There's a weird passage in Leviticus chapter 13. You You don't need to turn there, but in Leviticus 13, you can read it, where the priest was to examine the lepers. And if the lepers had spots of leprosy, he was to pronounce them unclean. And then right in the middle of the chapter, there's this strange thing where if the priest examines the leper and he is full of leprosy, I mean, it's from head to toe, he is full of leprosy, the priest was to pronounce him clean. It's a strange And you know what I believe it's a picture of? I think it's a picture of a leper who might be trying, well, look at how good all this part is. And and I just keep this covered and nobody notices. Look at how strong this arm is. No, you're unclean. And then picture that humble leper that walks in and says, I'm dead. From head to toe, there's not one good part in my whole body I can brag about. Clean. There's something about recognizing that you're dead. There's something about recognizing you're dead. I think a lot of times, pornography. I think the problem with pornography is that we think, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody or as long as nobody knows or whatever it might be, and as long as I'm not actually doing anything, listen, Jesus said, in your heart. And And the problem is, is that if my body is a sacrifice and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, then what's coming into these eyes and getting into this brain is his temple, not mine. It's his sacrifice, not mine. How dare I defile? How dare you bring a dirty offering? How dare you bring an animal that's lame and has a blemish or gangrene and offer that as a sacrifice? You can't do that. And the idea here. As it says here in verse 11, 12, 13 of chapter 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead that you would recognize that my whole body has to be yielded to God, not just the parts that I want him to fix or I think are out of control. We need to just yield it all to the Lord. It all belongs to him. Therefore, he controls what I see, what I hear, where I go, what I do. These feet belong to him. These eyes belong to him. These ears belong to him. The brain he gave me belongs to him. It's all his. And I need to check myself and recognize all the little things. That's what I'm trying to say. There are people that aren't convinced that all this other stuff is sin. They just know this part's sin because this part's like totally embarrassing, alcoholic, out-of-control stuff. But over here, and that's the problem. It's all need to be yielded to the Lord, not just the part you think needs to be. It all needs to be yielded to him. And that goes back to chapter 12 where it says, Be not, verse 2, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's will in chapter 8, God's will 
We, we love verse 28. All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. We love verse 28. That, that verse, we, whoo, that's a great verse. But verse 29 tells us what the purpose is. Called according to his purpose. Here's the purpose, verse 29. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know why Judas didn't like Jesus after a while? Because Jesus didn't want to be what Jesus wanted to be. Jesus wasn't looking to build a kingdom here and now, right now, on earth, physical. Jesus wasn't, wasn't using his power to gain more power and wealth or whatever it might be. And the idea of being a humble servant, be transformed like Christ, conformed to the image of his son. And that's what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is saying. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed instead, different. I appreciate the young people in, in our church, and I'm thankful for them, and, and uh, it's a blessing to see. I was just watching them, most of them, huddled around the piano tonight, practicing and singing before church, and what a blessing. I almost stopped and took a picture. They're not perfect. They got issues, but it's a blessing to see what, what's going on in their life. And especially in the age that they're in, not that it's any less for us, but in that teenage age, that teenage years, there's a lot of pressure to conform, to be like everybody else. And the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't just do what everybody else does. Because I mean, So what do you do? And basically, your identity is about what I do and how I make my money, as if making money is everything, as if that's what it's about. Well, I'm a Sunday school superintendent. We don't make any money doing it. Oh, that's right, but that's how I serve the Lord. The, the idea of being conformed to the thinking of this world, conformed to the way the world would have us to think. And there's so many things that we could illustrate with that. I mean, look at the conformity that we've seen in the last two years. The silliness and retardedness. And uh, it's because people aren't following the Lord and people live in fear and people don't know God. There's no confidence. And so they're, conform to this world and if you pay close attention you realize that most kids are trying to look like each other or to like to somebody they saw on tv and they're all just trying to look the same after a while the fad i don't i don't know how long it's been going on or if it if maybe it's maybe it's done now but for some reason you buy pants that have this like whole ripped out sections in the front i don't know if it's for air conditioning or what it's like that's weird. And, and I don't under, you know, I mean, you know, it, and, and I'm, I, it's starting to get a little brisk out. The frost is on the pumpkin, man. And I'm driving the school bus and I'm taking the kids to school and here's this poor girl, you know, and, and, and she's got the new fad thing going on. And it's like, man, you must be freezing. What's up with that? But, but on top of that, you, you paid good money for half a pair of pants. Be conformed to this world, to just fit in with everybody else, and as if that makes me happier, that's going to be transformed. Be different, not because you're trying to be different, but because Jesus is always different. 
And followers of Jesus are just different without trying to be. They're, they're, and, and yet it's a good thing. The funny thing is the world notices it. And they might make fun of it, but at the same time they respect it because it's something they can't do. Be not conformed to this world. Stop thinking like this world. Stop, stop worrying about what the world thinks. Be transformed. I mentioned about giving up career. I, I, I saw that in my parents' life and, and change of direction. Just change what, what, what direction they're going and go a different direction. Be conformed? No, no. Be transformed. When my dad decided to do that, Preston Robert Tisch, the owner of the CBS television and New York Giants and one-time Postmaster General, had him go straight to New York, flew him to New York and, and sat him down in his office and said, Tom, I'll give you, you just name your price. We don't want to lose you. You're a good salesman. You're good. Just tell us what you want. No, God has called me to be a preacher. And, and this man happened to be a Jew and he said, well, I don't understand you Christians. I make a lot of money off you at Christmas, but I don't understand you. God's called me to be a preacher. That's easy to say it. It's harder to live it. Walk out the door. Well, and, and, and everybody, everybody in the family, all the extended family members are like, you're stupid. What are you doing? A living sacrifice. Not conform, but transform. And how does this transformation take place? Notice in verse 2, by the renewing of your mind. You know what? If you quit going to church, you wouldn't think like those quacks at church. There's some truth to that. And and let's face it, what we spend most of our time our mind on is what we think and how we think, and it does influence us. If we're constantly around something and someone or, and we're listening to this and we're following that, that's going to influence us. And the renewing of our mind is constantly getting renewed and getting back in the book. And young people, I'm telling you, especially if you're going to the public school and you're going to be around everyone who wants everything conformed listen it's going to be hard sometimes and you just have to renew your mind <clears throat> and the renewing of your mind is getting back and focus and say all right all right what is and and all i got to do is get around god and god's people and god's word and it's like oh this why was i even thinking that the renewing of my mind and to see what god has for me instead and that constant renewing it's a constant battle Many people long for the renewed life without the renewed mind. They want to continue to have the old life in thought and expect the new life, and it doesn't work that way. You are what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the renewed mind is a mind that is focused on the Lord, as it says in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith focused on him let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who humbled himself and became a servant the renewing of your mind if you stand at the hospital bed of someone who's dying like i just did today and yesterday and the day before it'll help you to remember what's really matter what really matters and what's really important I'm going to be with Jesus. Oh. I'm going to be with Jesus. 
I'm a little scared, but I'm not too scared. Those are what I kept hearing. It'll help you to refocus and rethink some things. A lot of people miss out on a blessing when they don't go to a funeral of a Christian because they don't get the opportunity to hear the blessing and the testimony. In fact, Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because the house of mourning will wake up and sober your mind. And it's a blessing when you go to a Christian funeral, and I know we've had some where it was more of a rejoicing and celebration because we know where they are at, and it will renew your mind about what's important. You uh, you see someone get saved like we got to do this afternoon that renews your mind, reminds you of what it's all about. It was interesting today, and the one person that didn't make any kind of you know decision or anything was a super. You could tell the clothes, just looking in their apartment, Minnesota Vikings fan. I mean, Minnesota Vikings fan. What a a loser of a life. No, just kidding. But the contrast between someone saying, I want to trust Jesus as Savior versus the Vikings won today. Wow. The contrast. The renewing of our mind. This is what this is why you gotta be in the book and you gotta be in church because it helps you. Because we get bombarded. Now we've got we've got thought suggestions in our pocket. I mean, it's marketing. I mean they can hear you think sometimes, it feels like. I was just thinking about buying a new drill. How did they know? It's now I got pop up ads. And the renewing of our mind to get away from that stuff and get out of the influence of the world and to get back into and that's why we like to take young people to youth meetings and youth conferences and youth camps. So, oh, I've been bombarded with all these other mind influences and get away from all that and remember some things. What happens is, is that we don't renew our mind and we forget. And I even I forget. We start forgetting what God's done. We start forgetting what God has for us and we get focused on something else and we start to become conformed to this world. And if we'll just learn to trust the Lord for the future and that comes with renewing our mind and being over and over again. And that song we just sang a little bit ago about this world is not my home. And the one we sang before that about beyond the sunset. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. What a blessing to sing that song. It's just a blessing to sing that song. And the back to Bethel, I mean, it's just, it reminds us, okay. It just helps us to rethink things. And we need to learn to just shut off the stuff and shut out the world and let God have some extra time in our mind. You know, I picked on Abraham this morning, but now I want to brag about him. Genesis chapter 22. Bible says God did tempt, and that means test, Abraham. We don't necessarily need to turn to Genesis 22, but we are going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis 22, God told Abraham, get you and your boy up into the mountains of Moriah. 
and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering on one of the hills up there. And Abraham, being a whole lot older and wiser than he was back there in the early days, took Isaac, took the wood, took the coals of fire, had some servants go along with, and they went to the place where he's going to offer Isaac. And you know the story. He was ready to plunge the knife into Isaac and to kill him and to make him a sacrifice for God. And you know that that was the most prized possession in Abraham's life. And God stopped him and said, Abraham, I was just testing you. I wanted to prove your obedience. But notice Hebrews 11, what it says. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, which was a picture of Jesus, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And why does verse 18 say that? To remind us that Abraham knew this in verse 19. Accounting, remember how I said Abraham didn't trust God in the famine and thought he was going to die and didn't trust God when he lied about his Sarah being his sister? But now notice, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. If I kill Isaac, he'll have to raise him back to life. Why? Because he promised me that in Isaac my seed would be called. And so what this is saying is, is that Abraham believed even if I actually kill him, God's going to have to make him alive again because he's got to keep his promise. Wow. Obedience. Of course, God didn't let him kill him. He stopped him. Obedience. Not disobedience. Total obedience. And I want to now go to Matthew chapter 16 because I think this is a huge deal. Matthew chapter 16. Here's the problem. Here's why we don't want to do it. And I'm talking about me too. Matthew 16 and verse 24. I don't like losing at anything. We get together for Thanksgiving next month. You better make sure you're not beating me in Skippo because you might make an enemy. I hate losing. We play Monopoly. I've never actually flipped the table but I hate losing. We, we are competitive in our family. We don't like losing. Truth is, I don't think anybody does. Matthew sixteen twenty four says, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross was used for only one thing, execution. And only criminals carried their crosses. And then verse 25, here's what he says. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Are you tired of losing? Stop trying to save it. You want to be a winner? Don't be afraid to lose it. That's opposite. That doesn't sound right. That just sounds backwards. You want to you trust the Lord for the future? Don't be afraid to lose. Abraham looked like a loser. I mean, when they split, Lot and Abraham split, Lot looked like he had the better choice. 
Abraham looked like a loser. He's 100 years old and he's just now having a kid. So many of God's people look like the losers. You know where all these people are in Hebrews in chapter 11? They're all in heaven. They're not losers. Jesus said, you save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life, oh, by the way, Judas, he tried to save. He tried to hang on to stuff. There's a lot of people who tried to hold on to, to saving and to winning only to be the loser. And when you lose your life for my sake, that's when you find it. And I won't have you turn there, but 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, as Jesus laid down his life for us, so ought we to lay down our lives for the brethren. And this morning I told you about my friend Sam and how that he put the local church above his own personal preferences. And nobody in this room, including me, would blame him if he'd have quit that church. But he decided that God was telling him no. And he literally, in a sense, laid down his life for the brethren. And that church is a thriving, good church today with a good pastor. Because he, I think, was instrumental in saying, I'm not going to let what's happening to me become the main issue that tears apart this church. Wow. You save your life, you lose it. But if you lose, you'll find it. I came across this quote this week, and I just like it. It reminds me of my favorite verse in the Bible. The quote goes like this. Be so confident in God's plan that you don't even get upset anymore when things don't go your way. Wow. You know what's proof that you're not really a living sacrifice? When you get mad when you don't, and it doesn't go your way. Guilty. Abraham was so confident in God's plan that even though he's going to plunge a knife into his son, he thinks, I'm still confident. God's going to have to make this work because he promised. And, and if I hear some terrible news tomorrow, some horrible news that just totally would be devastating, hold it, stop, time out. God's still in charge. God's still in charge. And I can be so confident in God's plan that I'm just not going to get upset anymore when it doesn't go my way because it's still going to go his way and he said if I want to save my life I'm going to be willing to lose it but we don't want to we want to save face we want to salvage pride we don't want to look like a loser that's not that that's Man, that's hard. Listen, a living sacrifice, a dead person doesn't get offended. Dead people don't worry about losing. And I know it's tough to hear, but let's remember, the leader, the one we look to, looked like a loser and died. And they laughed for three days. But guess who's the winner? You don't lose 
when you give it up for him. And then lastly, as it says there in Romans 12, verse 2, renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Daniel chapter 1, I was just reading Daniel this week. Daniel said to the people in Babylon, they were captive in Babylon. They've lost everything. They're just slaves in Babylon. And Daniel says to the captors, he says, listen, we don't want to eat the king's meat. We don't want to drink the king's wine. We want to have just our pulse, our simple diet that we are used to. That's what we want. And they said, you're not going to look healthy. You're not, this is good, healthy food. Would you, would you just trust and prove us? Would you just allow us to, to prove our God's way is the right way? And if you read the chapter, they were more healthy. And they were wiser and smarter than the rest. And they were proven. What I love about doing it God's way and being a loser in the eyes of the world and being a living sacrifice and dead to self and alive to God is that you have a great opportunity to prove the perfect will of God. You can demonstrate it to this world. Look with me again at this time, 1 Thessalonians. We're almost done. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, talking to the young people. It's not just young people. Old people still, we have temptations too. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It's God's will that you are sanctified. What is sanctification? Well, some people call the the church auditorium the sanctuary. And the idea is the sanctuary is a special place. And so, you know, you might, we don't bring food and beverage into the sanctuary or don't run in the sanctuary or don't open up your umbrella in the sanctuary. Anyway, but we we don't do that in the sanctuary, all right? Because it's a special place. It's the set-apart place, all right? And this here, the will of God, even your sanctification. It's God's will that you are set apart, that you're different, that you don't just do everything that everything else might be done somewhere else. That's not, that, and, and it goes on to say that you should abstain from fornication. Fornication would include porn. And the idea of fornication would be shacking up and sexual relations without a marriage. Fornication is, is any sexual sin and sensuality. And the will of God, young people, is that you would abstain from that and that you would not get involved in that and become a part of that. And that means that your mind doesn't get involved with that because you'll never commit the action if you'll guard your mind and your heart. And so you don't have these fantasies or these secrets in the closet or whatever it might be and it goes on to say in verse 4 that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor not in the lust of concupiscence even as the gentiles which know not god that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter that we don't take advantage of someone else that we don't 
take advantage and defraud in some way and overstep our bounds. And this is why we teach our boys not to touch girls, vice versa, until they're married. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. I remember what one preacher, he's one of our missionaries, we support him now. I remember him saying that years ago when he was single and wasn't married and he was working with these guys and they'd make fun of him because he was pure and he was a virgin and they'd laugh at him and he'd said to them, you know, listen, the truth is I can be you guys any day, but you can never be me. Once you're unclean, you're unclean. And God's will is that we, and it's not just so that we can be unclean or clean and so that we can, no, it's so that God can get the glory. And so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this is so contrary to what Hollywood's teaching and promoting everywhere. This is so contrary to even what people in our own local community would, would, they'd laugh at this. Fornications just everywhere to the point where even Christians are into fornication. Well, I'm not stealing anyone else's wife or husband. It's not adultery, but it's fornication and it's against the will of God. It's wrong. It's not a good testimony. I was recently talking with someone and said, yeah, pastor, they, they like going to good church, but they, they still kind of like some of their sin too. And they're never going to find the answer they're looking for until they are clean and right with the Lord. Until they present their bodies a living sacrifice. We got a son who lives by himself in a faraway land. And his mom prays for him all the time and so do I concerning his, his purity. And now we know he's in a good church and he's with good people but there's temptations. I'm sure there's temptations. And you read about guys like Joseph who was tempted. And you read about some of the others like Daniel who stood up in a far country in a foreign land and said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you know it's always the will of God? Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians verse 18. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know what that reminds me of? Be so confident in God's plan that you don't even get upset anymore when things don't go your way. Boy, that, that sure was, a, that sure was a, a blast out of left field. I had no idea that that was coming, and that sure staggered me. But you know what? God's still on the throne. God's still God. I'm not going to get upset. God's, God's will is still going to get done. God's plan is still going forward. And even though my plans have gotten rearranged, God's plans are still going forward. And in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm not positive, but it's, it's widely agreed that probably Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were eunuchs. That's terrible. Never married. 
captives in a foreign country. And as young men proved that God was better than their God, and as an old man thrown in the lion's den and once again proved that God was better than their God. And I wouldn't wish Daniel's life on anybody, but I'll tell you what, one of the greatest saints in the history of the world is Daniel. And there's not a doubt in my mind that he proved God's will for his life. Be so confident in God's plan because it's all on the altar. Aren't you upset? Aren't you offended? I can't believe what's happened. How come you're not upset? I died a long time ago. So it's all God's now. And let me just say, this is easier to preach than it is to live. But it's something we gotta, we gotta be reminded of this and we gotta live this over and over again and trust the Lord. And young people, you're going to have disappointments. Old people, you're going to have disappointments. But if you're trusting the Lord, it doesn't matter. You can be confident that even when things aren't going your way, and you want an example of that, read Joseph's story. Genesis 37 through 50. God's in charge. Just trust the Lord. Die to self. Don't be afraid to be a loser. And let God make you the winner. Don't worry about trying to be the winner on your own and making yourself look good. Just let God be God. And don't be afraid to lose. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. And in the eyes of the world, his followers, all 11 of them, besides Judas, died terrible deaths. All of the 11 of them were martyred or uh, were, were tortured and persecuted for their faith and so many other of the early church Christians. And as the eyes of the world, they were losers. They're not losers. I read in Revelation that the 12 apostles are part of the gates of the city and the foundation of the city. They're not losers. And he keeps his word. And I got a feeling that these Christian celebrities that we have today are not going to be standing in the front of the line in heaven for the award ceremony. I got a feeling people that we've never even heard of are going to be up at the front of the line. You want to save your life, lose it. Die to self and let God make you a living sacrifice. We're going to close. But don't wait until you're almost dead to give it to him. Don't wait until you're breathing your last breath to give him your life. Do it now. Holy, acceptable unto God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the reminder that 